0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Hey guys, this is Stephen Hagelin, the host of the guilty of charge podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show. As always, we do appreciate any ratings, reviews, likes, subscribes, comments, on any podcast platform, including YouTube. And I want to start today off by giving a shout out to one of our sponsors, the Backroom Collection. You can find him Twitter at the Backroom C O L two. Again, that's the Backroom C O L two. he has been putting out some fire chargers prints. And I think any football fan should check him out and be able to upgrade their man cave, their workout, you know, situation, their home office, their actual office. Check him out online, TheBackroomCollection.net. collection.net. If you use the code GAC, that's G-A-C, on your first purchase, you get 10% off. He is even going to be able to attend a Justin Herbert signing. He's got a bunch of Justin Herbert prints that he will have signed by the man himself. Again, use the code GAC for 10% off at thebackroomcollection.net. Thank you so much for supporting him and our show. That being said, let's get to it.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. And boy, do we have some things to talk about today. So I'm recording this on Tuesday morning, the day of the trade deadline. And uh, right as I, right before I was about to hit record, I just found out that Melvin Ingram was going to the Chiefs, unfortunately. So we know the Chiefs are going to slightly improve their pass rush. I don't think Melvin Ingram is the same player he once was. But nonetheless, he should be a helpful addition to that to that team. But like I said, it is the trade deadline today. Um, I'm recording this at 10 a.m. So at 4 p.m. in about six hours, we'll know if the Chargers made any moves. And that's something I'm going to talk about today. So by the time you hear this video, probably either Tuesday night on Patreon or Wednesday, Thursday, whenever on Spotify or YouTube, you know, you'll know what happened to the Chargers. And I'll kind of break down why I don't think the Chargers are going to make any moves um, and then you kind of, under, you should understand a little bit about why they don't make any moves. They haven't made any moves. We're also just going to be talking about, you know, the Chargers so far in 2021. We're about eight weeks in, seven weeks in. So we're kind of at that midway point where we know what the Chargers are going to be, even though I think there's a lot of uncertainty around LA right now, just because it started off really hot and now we've had two really bad losses that you know, I think people are getting or overreacting a little bit to, but it's something that we should have expected and something I predicted actually three weeks ago, saying I do I did think the chargers were slightly inflated because of things that eventually will regress to the mean and they have. And you know, we'll we'll talk, we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. So let's let's start with let's just start with the chargers in general. So um this is from p f f right where I intern. We have a strength of schedule uh strength the schedule model that we use so per our model, the charters have actually had the third hardest schedule to start the year, and we knew this like we knew we probably had the hardest uh we had like a top two hardest schedule weeks one through six we were the third hardest schedule weeks one through seven or weeks one through eight at this point so you know like it, we're four and three, with a lot of things that were supposed to be against us with the new head coach, offensive coordinator. You know, new pieces on on that offensive line. We're four and three with the third hardest schedule in the league, and the best part is we have the fifth easiest schedule going forward per PFF's model. PFF's model also ha- has us making the playoffs fifty eight percent of the time, winning the AFC West twenty six percent of the time. Um, I do think the twenty six percent is is kind of low. Because it does project the Raiders to make the playoffs, even though they have the fifth hardest schedule going forward, and they had so the think about this: we had the third hardest schedule up to this point. The Raiders have had the fifth easiest schedule. We have the fifth easiest schedule going forward, and the Raiders have the fifth hardest schedule going forward. So I do think you know the Chargers have done pretty well given how hard the schedule has been to this point. But like I said, you know we ca- we as a fan base knew how good this team was. And all we needed was the right coach. And that coach showed himself. Brandon Sealy showed how good he was the first five-something weeks. And then, you know, they kind of fell off a little bit um, in the Ravens and Patriots game. And I do think they're still a good team. But we we do need to talk about some of the statistics behind it. So let me just talk about – the Chargers have 17 dropped passes. So all this talk about Joe Lombardi and, you know – is he a good coordinator or not? Like I said, he wasn't as good as people thought. And one of the disappointing things for me as a fan was like in my video, like I'm not even an analyst for a team. I want to get, I think it'd be awesome to get to that point. But in my video, I said that the Patriots ran, you know, a good chunk of cover two last year when they played the chargers, Like they played almost an equal number of snaps of cover one, three and cover two. And for Justin Herbert to go on the stand and say, oh, we didn't expect cover two, even though, like, they played that against you last year. Yeah, they've been a single high-safety team running cover one and three this year, but they played cover two last year. And for you to not expect that is, you know, it is concerning. And I wonder if it's the inexperienced staff, you know, like Kevin Coger, uh, guys like him, Derek Foster, Shane Day, Joel Lombardi, like haven't really had as much experience in, like, an enhanced role. Um, you know, like, Frank Smith also, but, like, he's more on the offensive line, so I don't know how much he has input with in the game plan. Um, but, yeah, it is a bit concerning that they didn't expect a lot of cover, too, right? I, I, and another thing that, you know, I, I've, I've been trying to think about, like, wh- why the Chargers offense hasn't looked that good, and, like, in certain situations, it feels like Joe Lombardi isn't scheming up good things – the Chargers have not been have not been good against the Blitz. In 2020, they had about a 0.148 EPA per play versus the Blitz. Remember, EPA stands for Expected Points Added, and it's a good measure of efficiency for an offense and defense. The Chargers ranked like right outside the top 10 in, uh, versus the Blitz per EPA per play. In 2020, they have a 0.002 EPA per play versus the blitz ranking 17 so right about average slightly below average versus the blitz and like a 0.146 drop-off is pretty big like it's a big drop-off and the reason for that is because i don't think lombardi has done a good job scheming up things for herbert or scheming up things in general like I i talked about this two weeks ago like the the whole idea of having this matchup based offense is basically saying okay we expect our receivers to go win one-on-one matchups right like we think that they can win their one-on-one matchups a majority of the time well the Chargers have the seventh most contested targets in the league the seventh most and so that's telling me that okay Joel Lombardi is saying okay Heenan Mike you go win a route even if you're not open we're going to get it to you because we believe and okay that's a that's a strategy that could work but like you're relying so much on players winning one-on-ones. The defense is eventually going to win. And when they do win on those first and second downs, you're left with these third and longs, which the Chargers just can't, you know, it's not sustainable to convert third and longs every single drive. And so, you know, those are some things where I'm like, you know, why, like, where has the the Chargers offense gone? And it's it's just been a lot of contested targets. Um, The average depth of target, for the Chargers, they rank 21st right now at 8.4. 8.4. Like, ranking 21st in average depth of target is is crazy to me. Like, the first six teams, the Ravens, the Bills, the Saints, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Rams, all all six are five of of those six teams minus the Broncos are playoff teams, and they rank first in average depth of target. Now, I'm not saying you have to chuck it down the field every time, and, in fact, teams are playing a lot of too high – coverages versus guys like Herbert and Mahomes to take away those deep balls but there it it just seems like there's no aggressiveness anymore and it's I don't know if that's on the players I don't know if that's on Joel Lombardi the office I don't know who it's on and I think that's the issue that we really don't know who to blame even though it's it's a collective effort but when I'm watching that Patriots game I'm like there's no it doesn't seem like there's any creativity and you know, it's just a lot of spot concepts, like dig concept. Like there's I feel like Shane Steichen skiing players open better. I like that was my opinion. And obviously Lombardi can change my opinion as the season goes on, but you know, there there does need to be some improvements. And one of the things is they need to stop running these damn wide receiver screens, guys. I'm sorry. Like at PFF, my fellow intern Connor McQuiston found that wide receivers. Wide receiver sc- screens are actually not an efficient play. As you can see, they are the least efficient screen play out of the four screens you can run, such as tight end screens, running back screens, slot receiver screens, and outside receiver screens. So for Herbert to just be throwing these wide receiver screens to Mike Williams or Keenan Allen on first and second down, have they worked at all? Like literally, have has one wide receiver screen worked? No. I do think the running back screen game has been effective like a little bit but it hasn't it hasn't been where it needs to be i just don't get why they try to emulate the packers when the only re- the reason why the packers wide receiver bubble screens to Devontae adams work so well is because aaron Rodgers has the quickest release in the nfl justin herbert has a wind up so when he winds it up and he's throwing it to his receiver the the cornerbacks can read that so they break on the ball as he's winding up with rogers it's just Drop back and snap it. And so the the corners don't have enough time to react, which means, you know, Devontae Adams has all the space to work with, but it's not the same for Herbert. And I don't, I think they're forcing that when they shouldn't be. Now let's let's go to the defense. And the defense, I thought played pretty well against the Patriots, all things considered. So in this graph, we're looking at defensive play action. So we're looking at EPA per play when it, when the offense runs play action versus, uh, a defense's rush EPA per play allowed. So as, as we all know, the Chargers have the worst run defense in the league per EPA per play. I thought they played a, a little bit better with Justin Jones, but you know the Patriots still ran for 140 yards. I don't care that it was like 3.8 yards per carry. The Patriots were able to get 140 yards on the ground. But what I found was teams that are bad against the run are also bad versus play action. And I feel like this is something that should be common knowledge, right? Like if you're bad versus the run, that likely means your defensive line is bad, which means your run, linebackers need to help out in run fits. So your linebackers on that second level have to step up when they see a handoff because they know their defensive line is not able to get a push. So if they're playing those run fits and they're not able to diagnose that it's a play action, they're going to get beat over top by crosses every time. And that's what the Patriots did versus the Chargers on that last drive. They they had like a couple of first and second downs and they ran two play actions where Jacoby Myers I believe and um, I think it was Kendrick Bourne on the other one they just ran a, a nice play action where they had the crosser come behind the linebackers and because the D line isn't that good you know the linebackers like Tranquil and Kaiser had to step up so they're going to be worse versus play action until they fix this run defense right um, so yeah that I thought this was a cool graph if we so, um, if we go forward, the Chargers are actually really good on non-play action plays, believe it or not. Like, they have the third best defense versus non-play action plays, while they are below average when a team runs play action against them. So I thought those two graphs, um, here's the first one with play action and rush EPA, and here's the second one with uh, play action on Are EPA from play action versus EPA on no play action plays. Now, let's just do a quick review of how the Chargers defense has progressed this season. So as you can see, the the bars represent the percentile. So the first bar is the 75th percentile. The second bar is the 50th percentile. And the third bar is the 25th percentile. So the Chargers have had three performances over the 75th percentile, but they've had three pretty much four perform- performances below the 50th percentile. So it, it has been a little bit hit or miss. And the problem is the four best offenses they've played, they've had below 50 percentile defenses that game. So, you know, I, I misread or I miscalculated, you know, how good I thought this Chargers defense was going to be. Um, I did think it could be, a, it had the potential to be a top five, top three unit haven't really showed that they're barely a top 10. If you consider them that they're right around league average, in my opinion, until they can prove that they can stop the run because they're just going to get gashed on the ground. And like my previous graph showed, once you get gashed on the ground, uh, it makes running play action so much easier for opposing offenses. Now the offense, the offense, like I said, has been good, but They've fallen off these past two weeks. So they've had uh, two performances over the 75th percentile, which were important because we needed those performances to win against the Chiefs and the Browns. But they've had pretty much three slash four performances below the 50th percentile. And even that Raiders game, like, they played well. They They had a couple drives where they looked really good, and then a couple drives where the offensive line didn't hold up, where the play calling didn't look that good. All right, uh, guys, so last thing I want us to go over was looking at Justin Herbert's passing map versus Matthew Stafford. So um, I'm sorry that it doesn't have the names, but the left left passing map is Justin Herbert and the right passing map is Matthew Stafford. The, The major problem I think I have with Lombardi is he's forcing Justin Herbert to make a ton of throws outside the hashes, which Herbert has the ability to do. Don't get me wrong. Like he has you know, one of the best arms in the NFL. He can make any throw in the book, but throwing over the middle is much more efficient than throwing to the sideline. And it, you know, it's, it should be like a common knowledge thing because like you're throwing to the sideline, you need to put more velocity on the ball. There's a lot of, there's a higher chance it gets picked off, which we've seen. And, you know, that's, that's something that McVay hasn't forced Stafford to do. If you look at like Stafford's like distribution of targets, there's a ton of stuff over the middle. Well, for Justin Herbert, all his stuff is concentrated to the outside. Like, look at all of these targets and completions he's been forced to throw outside the hashes while, you know, uh, Stafford has had an MVP-type season taking those routes over the middle. And to me, this is the biggest thing that the Chargers need to improve And I think there's a lot of throws to the outside, which Herburn could make, but it is, it's tough and it's not as efficient as throwing over the middle. And I don't know if it's if it's a design thing or they're just taking away over the middle stuff by playing too high coverages versus Herbert, but it hasn't it hasn't worked the last two games, and that's something they have to improve on if they want to be contenders this year. Um, and yeah, so those were that's what all the data stuff I had to talk about. Now let's talk about the trade deadline just a little bit because I know this video is a little bit long. The Chargers will not make a move in, in the trade deadline. That's my prediction, and I'm re- like I said, I'm recording this at 10 a.m. Trade deadline's in six hours. The reason for this is they're not a team built to win a Super Bowl. And if they were, they would be making a move in my opinion. The reason I say they're not going to make they're not built to win a Super Bowl is they entered the season with Storm Norton as their backup swing tackle. And teams that are going all in don't do that. Like teams that are going all in have quality depth at important positions where the drop off is heavy. Offensive line, cornerbacks, edge rusher, and receivers. The Chargers are too deep at receiver with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. They have no depth on on that offensive line. They really don't have any depth at that cornerback position. And so they're not all in this year. If they started six and one, I I would be pushing for them to go and trade for someone. But they're four and three coming off two of the worst losses of the season. And they've gotten exposed by two really good head coaches with really good defenses. And so they're not ready to go all in. Akeem Hicks, that's a pipe dream. Fletcher Cox, that's a pipe dream. If you expect them to go trade, for, if they trade for those players, I will eat my words and I will offic- like issue an official apology. But they are not ready to go all in this year. And that's okay. Like they are pl- legit playoff contenders. They are not Super Bowl contenders. And as much as I hate to say that, that is what the data shows. That is what the truth is. And you know this offense isn't, like the expectation wasn't that this offense was going to be a top of the league offense in year one, right? Drew Brees never picked up the Saints playbook until two years into his uh, Saints career. So with that being said, you know, I had a conversation with Brad Spielberger a couple, couple weeks, months ago. And he, I mean, we talked about this all in idea and teams don't go all in until the third year of a QB's rookie deal. Look at Josh Allen traded for Stefan Diggs. Look at Kyler Murray, JJ Watt, AJ Green they don't make all in moves until the third year of a QB's rookie deal, which is next year. So I don't expect the Chargers to be active at the trade deadline. It won't surprise me if they make a move, if someone gets cut, but don't expect them to trade for anyone. And if you're hearing this and they haven't traded for anyone, now you know why. So that's gonna wrap it up for, uh, for today's video. I hope you're able to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the data behind uh, play action stuff, rush EPA, and ultimately my thoughts about Joe Lombardi. And yeah, with that, as always, Bolts Up.